Hi, everybody. This is Jack Graham along with my podcast partner down in Portland, Oregon, John Peterson. And we're here today with a, a special, um, a really special person, someone who I've not met, but uh, someone that I've respected for many years. The, the photo workshop business is a small world, and we kind of all know each other. And I know a few of the people that Erin works with. And I know people that have taken her workshops and have had nothing but glowing uh, things to say. And without further ado, I'll say good morning to John. And good morning, we'll Jack. welcome in um, a really amazing photographer and amazing person, Miss Erin Babnik, who's coming to us today from Slovenia. Erin, good morning or good afternoon on your point. <laughs> good morning. Yeah. Is it ready for here. you ready for dinner over there yet? Um, getting there. Yeah, that'll be next. Good. I could ask you what's for dinner, but we're not going to get that personal. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for taking the time um, to be with us. Um, you know, John, as we normally do on these podcasts, we don't don't really have a lot of prep. We just talk like we're sitting around, you know, um, you know, having, having a drink or a, a bite to eat. And we just talk about photography and things that come up. Um, John, I, I guess maybe the best thing to do would be to let Erin uh, tell everybody a little bit about herself. For sure. You know, I would, I would hope that most people know who Erin is at this point. If you're in the landscape nature photography community, but if you happen to be under a rock or, or aren't quite familiar with it, we'll have uh, we'll have Erin uh, give us give us a little introduction to herself. So, take it away, Erin. Oh, oh well, thank you, and thanks for the <laughs> kind words. Um, so I'm a landscape photographer. I specialize in wilderness landscapes and photography education. Um, I have offices on two continents. So when it's not a um, world immersed in a pandemic. I'm traveling around a lot between those two points and doing a lot of workshops and talks. And I do quite a bit of writing and quite a bit of um, public speaking. And I'm a canon explorer of light. And I think that covers the main bases. What, uh, uh, this is not a gear centric workshop, uh, Aaron, but are you uh, using the new, any end of the new canon digital stuff? Yeah, I did switch entirely over to mirrorless. So I've got the R5 and I have an R and a whole bunch of RF lenses now. I, I still have all my old EF uh, gear and I even have my old 5D Mark III in addition wow. to my 5D Mark IV. I have a, I have a problem letting go of gear. <laughs> but yeah, mostly what's what's coming with me in the backpack these days is the mirrorless stuff. Those five Ds are going to outlive all of us, I think. I know. Probably. I, I still have remorse over <laughs> – I had a 5D Mark II, and I still have remorse over selling it. Yeah, I did sell my 5D Mark II. That one I let go. But back in the day, I I really needed the money. So yeah. now, now I kind of have the option, and it's really just hard for me to let go of them. I think, you know, what if I'm doing something with video, and I need that third camera? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Camera three has to be there, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's amazing. Whenever we buy something new, we go, well, we'll, you know, we'll buy a new lens. Well, we'll sell the old lens because I don't need that lens anymore. Nobody ever sells their old, old stuff. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> and then we get in and then, we, and then the camera bag thing. That's another thing. We all have about 90 camera bags. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah you got to have <laughs> just the right one. It's important. So, Aaron, you know, you, as you sort of briefly touched on, you spend a good part of your year traveling. I mean, that's you, you work hard and you're out running workshops and giving in-person talks and you kind of jet set around the world, if you will. How, how has this year been for you? I mean, this past year with this pandemic is, you know, it's, it's turned everything on its head, but, uh, you know, did you go into some travel withdrawals or? You know, how's it been for you for somebody who travels so much? Yeah, it actually um, it has been extraordinarily rough. I kind of went into like identity withdrawals. You know, everything that was normal for me just got stopped. And I actually went into caregiver mode to take care of my mom to try to keep her safe. I was doing all the grocery shopping, making sure she didn't have to go out of the house, you know, before vaccines were available. So um, my my whole world just stopped and became something else. Also in in the midst of the pandemic, um, I was trying to find a place to live. I was caught I was caught out quite literally because my house had burned down in twenty eighteen. I heard and about I just that. Yeah. So it was, it was a double whammy for me. I you know, the stay at home orders came when I didn't have a home to stay at. I, I had just kicked that can down the road because I was so busy traveling so much and oh I'll do that. I had actually pegged April 2020 for the day when I was going to drive, uh, the month when I was going to drive around trying to figure out what town I could even go to because my whole town got incinerated. It wasn't just my house. So going back to that town wasn't an option. And anyway, so I spent most of um, the last year getting two new offices set up. I also upgraded the one that I have in Europe and um, did a top to bottom reno uh, on a house that I bought here and then also a whole bunch of stuff to get a new office in California and so nothing seemed normal <laughs> in the last yeah. year it was it was very very tricky I didn't do much was not able to go out much uh, and shoot so that too um, you know just became something that I really craved and it, things are slowly getting better now fortunately but uh, yeah, my 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 uh, year uh, in the you know in the thick of it wasn't spent like what a lot of people have been reporting, which is that oh they found new ways to go out and be creative and they they had time <laughs> to you know <laughs> spend with their camera and that, I had none of that. Right now you're too busy taking care of life. Yeah, yeah. you know I, I don't think a lot of people did, and I, I think um, I, I think that. You you hit it hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of people um, I don't know if they, whether they're, I think they they say they were out and doing. So I, I don't think a lot of people are out. I, I just really don't. And um, it, it's a scary time. So I mean, yeah. it, it's crazy. Hey, um, are you now? So so you spend most of the time now in Europe, or or you split the time? Um, Let's just say we're back, kind of back to normal, and everything's working the way normal, you used to work. Yeah, normal what would, would you be, be traveling, traveling about three hundred days a year, but wow. spending about half of that time traveling around Europe and the other half the United States, but not 
all in a row, <laughs> not, you know, con- contiguous blocks of time, more like back and forth and back and forth and bouncing around a lot. So like for the, uh, for example, at the end of 2019, I was, it was crazy. I was not only bouncing around between continents, but I, I remember there was a, I think a three week period where I went back and forth between the East coast and the West coast three or four times. It was, re- you know, just ridiculous <laughs> how much yeah. traveling I was doing. Boy, so uh, I you, 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 you uh, were doing what I was doing on steroids. I was, I, I thought I was bad. God, three hundred <laughs> a year. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it, fortunately, I travel well, and I've been doing this for a while, and it hasn't totally ground me down. But you know, it's not the um, glamorous lifestyle that a lot of people think it is. You know, it's, you know it is. Let, let's talk about that, John, a little bit. Um, we had to talk about that in the Palouse a couple weeks ago, if you remembered it. Nobody sees the uh, preparation. Nobody sees the, you know, everything that goes into, you know, they show up and they we do the work, but they don't understand that we're there early and all of that. Um, it, it, it's a it's an amazing thing. Um, <laughs> it's not as glamorous as it sounds, but no. you know, Aaron, um, when you travel. Between continents, what are, I mean, what it's how do you how do you deal with carrying all your gear? I mean, do you do you do you have stuff here and have stuff there so you don't? I, have- I do. That has been largely my solution over the years is just to buy two of almost everything. So the only stuff that I am always carrying back and forth are the 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 camera bodies and the lenses. But I have two tripods, I have two, you know, I have two offices. So everything that I need for processing and all that completely duplicated. Um, yeah, <laughs> just a lot, a lot of gear duplicated, wow. except for the, the cameras and the lenses. Hmm. Hey, Aaron, let me, let me just kind of switch tacks a little bit. During, the, during your intro, you uh, identified yourself as a wilderness photographer. And I thought that was a pretty important little distinction. What talk more about about why you say wilderness and not landscape or nature, which are the more common terms? Yeah, um, I think it's just a preference that I've evolved into. When I first started getting into landscape photography, what I loved doing was taking. I was really into strobist photography, so I would go and find interesting ruins and try to light them up during the blue hour. Uh, so I was all about well-sited ruins, churches, castles, uh, the built environment, but for, but ideally a re- really old, uh, things being reclaimed by nature, that kind of thing. Um, and then the more that I got frustrated by some of the um, limitations of doing that kind of photography, the more I just remembered how much I used to love backpacking way back in the day. And finally got back around to... It, it it actually had never occurred to me that it might be fun to take a camera out backpacking <laughs> because when I first started getting into it, there was no social media. There was nothing to re- actually give me that idea. <laughs> right. so it had not, it took a really long time for me to be, you know, at the point where I went, that, that could be fun. I could go do that. <laughs> and so uh, once I started doing that, it everything changed. Um, it was so liberating. I was no longer 
you know, having to worry about public and private land and having to worry about restrictions on tripod use and, and access during certain times of the day or any of that. And, uh, and yeah, and so the further I could get away from the built environment, it seemed like the happier I was. And so that's kind of been what really excites me and inspires me and lately. I'm sure I'll get, come back around. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, but you know, for the last, I don't know, 10 years, that's really been what I've been into. So what's kind of what what's been the what's been your most adventurous outing in doing that? What's uh what's what's one of those stories you're going to tell your grandkids? Hmm, that's a good question. Um Hmm. Well, I mean, I've definitely had some crazy scrapes out in the Dolomites. So I suppose, you know, there are some things that um that I that I talk about <laughs> every now and then when people ask ask that question, the the, the same stuff that comes to mind are the times when I, I had a bad map and ended up on a trail where, where I shouldn't have been and am very lucky to be alive because mm-hmm. of, uh, you know of a very very close scrape with danger. One of the one of the the worst ones was when I had a map that had a trail marked as an expert trail, which usually just means that there's some exposure and um, you just have to be careful. Um, but it's different from and this is in in Italy. It's different from what's called the Via Ferrata, which is the Iron Way. So these are trails where you need to be equipped. So that's a different level of trail. And my map was mislabeled. It was not a great map. (laughs) So this was early on and lesson learned about getting good maps. Um, And I got myself into a real pickle. (laughs) Got myself caught. Uh, Every time I went past one of the little Via Ferrata bits, I thought, well, that wasn't even on the map. So I'm sure that's the end of it. And now that I'm through, I'm good. I'm just going to keep going and I'll go out the other side to where I'm going. And I went for hours and hours and hours through more and more and more and more. And it was getting more and more dangerous. And every time I passed a part, I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to go back that way. Cause that was crazy. Then I finally got to the point where I realized that this was just a whole long thing of via Ferrata. And I was about four hours into it when I hit a point of no return. Oops. There was literally no way for me to go without being equipped. It was just, compl- and I had a huge backpack on and my tripod and loads of gear with me. It was completely nuts. And, um, and I realized there was no, I was either going to, and I was running out of strength. <laughs> so I was running, I was really in trouble. And uh, then it started to snow at that very oh, moment nice. when I realized. Yeah. That I was- <laughs> Why not? Yeah, this, this is, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the phrase type three fun. They're supposedly like type one fun is the kind of fun that you just have. And you're like, that is awesome. That was great. I can't wait to do that again. Type two is while you're doing it, you're like, I don't know, this is a little bit sketchy. But when you're done, you're like, nah, that was totally fun. I'd totally do it again. And type three is like, no, never. That was not even fun. <laughs> so this was at that level. You know? oh, that was awesome. John, that's me. That's me in the wave, John. Yeah, that is you. So, Aaron, so, it, sound, it, it sounds like you largely go out by yourself. Is that true? Uh, I wouldn't say largely. I mean, especially lately, I've been doing so many workshops that I'm yeah. always with groups, but I don't do that kind of stuff with workshops. How, how, does, your, do, how does your photography change when you're with somebody else or, or by yourself? Does it change? Uh, yeah, 
I think, um, you know, I do more of it when I'm by myself. When I'm teaching, I don't do a whole lot of shooting. Right. And so I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes out there with only just my camera in my hand so I can show people ideas, you know, like, how about this? And, I'll, you know, I'm not even seriously shooting. I don't even have the tripod out of the, you know, it's still attached to my backpack. And so I'm very often missing moments that way because I don't even have the ability to do it. But, um um, so I, I think though that, you know, there is definitely that, that extra bit of immersion that comes with not having the responsibility of taking care of other people when you're out shooting. But if it's with friends and I'm not responsible for people, I think I'm doing the same level or same type of shooting that I, than what I would do when I'm alone. Hmm. Okay. You know, for because usually for me, when friends split up, we do our thing, and I feel like I'm kind of alone anyway. Yeah, yeah, largely. You know, it is nice to come back and and share stories. I think, you know, the reason that sort of triggered a thought in my head is is I find that I I can get more connected to my subject when I'm completely by myself. Even if my friends are off doing something else, you're still there's still a social component that drags you back and away from away from that you know, ultimate connectedness to your environment. Um, yeah, that could, that, that, I think that's probably true for me too. Not always, but sometimes for sure. Yeah. I think, I think uh, a lot of times, you know, creativity is really a solitary situation. Sometimes that you don't want to be distracted by having to be somewhere or other people around mm-hmm. or, you know, just different things and you can react to what's happening. I think a lot, a lot better, you know? Yeah. Erin, are the Dolomites your favorite place? Um, they're in death Valley. I've kind of emerged as my two most, you know, my, yeah, the places that I really do just feel deeply connected to the Dolomites are where I kind of feel like I came into my own as a photographer. That's where I sort of cut mm. my teeth, you know, and so they're they're special to me. Um the and I picked up on Death Valley not long after that. And so I I, I just it's completely different. It's a completely different environment and I love it for different reasons. But I just ne- never seem to run out of ideas or get tired of either of those places. Because, yeah. probably because they're both very changed. Yeah, Death Valley is, and I haven't been down there now in probably three or four years, maybe five, but I used to run events down there every year for many, many years. And, you know, it's kind of, we just, John and I just got back from the Palouse, and we always tell people that the Palouse and Death Valley have a lot of similarities in that you've got texture and patterns and and uh, shapes and all sorts of stuff. It's not like going to uh, arches or Yosemite or you yeah. know, sort of big parks. Um, and, and you can get lost, not literally, but I guess you can literally too. But you you can get lost just in one location there for forever in Death Valley. It's it's a, quite an amazing place. Yeah, and it's always changing. There are some areas where I have to, even if I'm teaching a workshop there, I have to go rescout every single absolutely. Week sometimes because the ground literally changes <laughs> absolutely absolutely hey, hey john you know we talked about um uh talking to aaron about uh about uh you know her uh her ideas on color um wh- why don't you touch on that 
if you could. Sure. Well, so it was, so folks, if you've not visited Aaron's website, I would highly recommend you to do that as well as uh, Photocascadia. There's a lot of great information published up on photocascadia.com. Um, but one of the articles, Aaron, that you, you uh, authored for Photocascadia was the creative applications of color theory in landscape photography, which this article really resonated with me. I was just giving a talk to some folks about about knowing color theory and crafting an image with color theory in mind and how do you put colors together in your composition to create the feel that you want to evoke in this image. And I think you, you nailed this in this article. It's, uh, it's fantastic. What, what don't, why don't you share just a little bit, if you could, some of your thoughts around color theory in your compositions. Sure. Yeah, so um, I think my approach to color theory is a bit more broad than uh, many other treatments of the topic with regards to photography. So I look at it not just as combining colors that end up being harmonious uh, in a palette, but also about the power of color in general to affect a composition. And that I think is just as interesting. The way that uh, you can use color either by subduing certain colors or accentuating certain colors or outright removing colors, completely just desaturating them um, in order to control movement of the eye through a frame to produce more depth in an image, to simplify a composition, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's what that article was all about, was that harmonizing is just one of, I don't, I don't, I don't even remember now how many different points I had in there, five or seven or more. Yeah. So, yeah, color is such a powerful element of photography. And my article details primarily what <sighs> what control you have in post-processing to take control of your color. So I'm I'm not advocating that people only go out and shoot things that, that happen to harmonize in nature. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but I think you also kind of touched on it too. I mean, we talk about uh, shaping light, you know, light and dark parts of an image and sculpting that light to, to draw the viewer's eyes through an image. And the same principles and concepts can be used with color because it's so powerful in attracting the eye you can bring colors to the forefront or move them to the back to help uh, the emphasis and help direct the viewer's eyes through that composition. Exactly. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron one of the things I notice about your, your photographs is that um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really get into using shadows a lot. And I, I don't see, for example, you know, if you look at, some photographers they'll they'll really accentuate the bright colors in fall foliage or whatever you know the oranges and the reds and your images um, you definitely have a style which is something that I think everybody should strive for and and it's I don't want to say it's subdued but maybe I pastel is the word. <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's and and it's consistent through your work and i mean it i just i love the way you you, you know you use the the pastel and the, and the and the, you know the the, the well, dichotomy between the um pastel 
look and the shadow uh, emphasis is it's it's uh, it's quite amazing. It's quite 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 interesting. Oh, yeah, I certainly don't think it's the only way to do things. I mean, some people are really good at making super emphatic color work. Um, it's just more, I don't know, fun for me to um, to to work colors up in in their in their power very very selectively. So I I like to kind of sort of subdue everything a lot and then just maybe punch up one little part a little bit and and play with the the fact that colors a lot of what's going on in in my processing is working with the idea that colors can vibrate against one another and they don't need to be very saturated to do that. So you can get some very uh, colorful looking images when, and when you measure the, actually the saturation of the colors, they're really low, but the reason that they feel or they look so colorful or painterly is just because um, of the way that they're uh, playing off of each other, the hues. Yeah. You know, your work, um, you know, your, I don't want to say your processing technique because, you know, you have to have a really good image and have it done right to begin with. But John, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't, doesn't Aaron's uh, work remind you a bit of Guy, Guy Tal's work? Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, yeah you can tell that. Color. Yep. What, what really struck me, Aaron, is, is the, you know, I've looked at, as we all have, we've looked at, hundreds of thousands of images, but, but you can tell that, that with your work, it's a very thoughtful, well-conceived composition and, and your use of color in it is very, it, it, as Jack said, it's very consistent across all of your images, but it's, but it is very subtle. And it's those types of images, at least for me, that I find the most pleasing because things that, things that are really emphatic, you know, they, they burn your retinas after, you know, you look at them for more than 30 <laughs> seconds. And, and so having pictures that don't fry your mind, um, is, is a really pleasing standout way of, of processing your images. Yeah. Well, so, I really appreciate the kind words. Sometimes <laughs> I think it's just my blue eyes that I, I always have to wear sunglasses because I have really sensitive eyes and I think that has something to do with it. <laughs> Well, it works. It works. Keep it going. (laughs) You know, and and I think for for those of you listening, I think the lesson here is sliders do not have to go to the right. You know, (laughs) just be gentle with with your colors because sometimes speaking softer can be stronger. Using fewer words can be stronger. It doesn't have to scream. And I think that's that. what are you, uh, you, I know you, you know, we thought that we don't want to, this is not a processing podcast, but what do you, what, what software are you using um, to process what? Just... I'm using uh, Adobe, so both Photoshop and Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my prep work, I do basic stuff in Lightroom and then and just sort of finish it up in Photoshop, but I might end up on some images working little refinements in color in Photoshop through many, 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 many layers and end up actually spending loads of time in Photoshop for what are ultimately very, very subtle, localized little adjustments all over the place. That you can't do in Lightroom. You can't do it. No, because right. you don't, you know, it's, you know, you're, it's, you're painting with a broad brush in Lightroom. It's hard to have that kind of control. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it is. So let's, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about your involvement mm-hmm. with Photo Cascadia. How did you come to be sure. with them, and how's that how's that been working out for you? Oh, that you know that was um, well, it's been about six years now, and that came about kind of slowly. First, um, I, I, I was always aware of Photo Cascadia. The, the group has been together now. I think this is the twelfth year, and I've been a, a member for the last six of those. But um, so I was always aware of Photo Cascadia, and those guys were, you know. Um, some of my my heroes in photography. I really uh, very very much admired them. And one day, one of my friends texted me and said, "Hey, um, there's a new photo Cascadia blog post about female landscape photographers, and they put you up at the top. And there's this thing about you there." So, hmm. at that point, I hadn't met I don't think anybody in the team, but um, I was about to go to the Columbia River Gorge area, and um, David Cobb had written that that piece. And so I don't remember if I reached out to him or the other way around, but somehow we, we had uh, coffee <laughs> in hood river and um, totally coincidentally about two weeks later, I just ran into him again in the redwoods and he was there with Sean Bagshaw and he said, Oh, you want, you got to meet Sean. Sean's here. He's down the trail. You want to go meet him? Okay. So <laughs> I go down there and I'd never met Sean before, and Sean just was so kind and was just gushing. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool to meet you. I'm a big fan. I'm like, what? You're a fan of me? No, get out. You know? Oh, funny. <laughs> it's just, like, you got to be kidding me. And, and uh, so then um, then shortly thereafter, he said he was going to Slovenia because of my work there. He, I had inspired him to go to Slovenia. Oh, and cool. that totally blew my mind. So we met there in Slovenia because I was due to be there anyway in about a month. And um, after that experience of meeting those guys, and they were just so cool and so friendly to me, um, and I had just started getting to where I wanted to do more writing, and I just, I literally just reached out at that point. I'm like, would you guys ever consider adding a seventh member? And apparently they weren't even ever considering adding anybody ever, <laughs> but they considered it. And um, and and within, uh, I don't know, a few months, uh there I was. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, so you you guys yeah. just uh, put out an, a book recently, is that right? Um, yes. So we have a few books out, but the most recent is uh, probably the one we're most proud of. It's Oregon, My Oregon by Timber Press, with the um, foreword by um, oh, what's his name, Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, uh, gosh, I'm totally forgetting his name right now. It's been a while. I don't have a copy of that book here either <laughs> in this office. But um, you call Sean; he'll probably show you one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we um, we were approached by the publisher to do that book, and it was a big deal for us. And it came out beautifully, and we we're just so uh, thrilled with with the quality of the book and the reception that it's received. So yeah, that's been. Yeah, you guys, you guys um, should a real be feather proud. in our caps, I guess. Yep, it's yeah, a beautiful book. Thanks. Beautiful book. Yeah. You know, John. You know, we've had Sean on the podcast here. We've had David on. Um, we're gonna have Kevin on. Uh, Kevin McNeil on here in a couple weeks. Um, you know, I haven't talked to Zach. I used to live uh, in Oregon, Aaron, and. Uh, 
And I had seen Zach lived close to me, and we used to run into each other quite a bit. We ought to get, John, we ought to get most of the group on here. Maybe we could do a big Skype call with you guys one time and get you all on. (laughs) And and I could give you all a bad time. But, you know, David, David's a dear friend. Sean's a dear friend. You're in good hands down there, uh, Aaron. They're good people. And, oh, absolutely. And, and for the people who, you know, listening to this podcast, you know, again, you know, we love you to do every workshop you do with just John and I and nobody else. But the reality is, is that, that there are many, many good groups out there. And Photo Cascadia, to me, uh, I, I think John might agree, is really, you know, kind of at the top of our list of people that we'd recommend uh you all do something with. They're good folks. Well, um, I really, really appreciate and, that. And Aaron fits in uh, just perfectly um, with the with those folks. I, I know the mindset, and 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 uh, you're a great addition to that group. Well, yeah. Thanks. You know, we always say that the reason that the group has stayed together 12 years now is because we are all friends. We get along so well. We have so much fun together. We are genuinely good, good friends. You know, if something, whatever's going on in our lives, we're pretty well connected and we, we stay in touch and, you know, it's, it's, it's like having a bunch of brothers that I never had before. And that I think is what makes us tick. Is yeah, that you know, you're right. And, 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 and Sean and, and David, you know, when I moved to Oregon, uh, David and I knew each other through naturephotographers.net back in the days of when uh-huh. I started way, way back. Um, and uh, David took, I mean, I got to tell you, we spent a few days out in the middle of nowhere. He was showing me places and, and I'm saying to myself, boy, this guy is really just amazing. And, and you know, and that's the way David is and Sean is, Kevin is, and, uh, and Zach and the rest of the guys there. They're, they're all good people. Um, Aaron, where, where are you going? I mean, uh, you, you I, I guess we're in a state of flux now. Europe is a little more, um, I think, uh, closed down than America yeah. is. But what, what's your plans? What, what's well, going, I'm what's I'm in that? Europe right now because I have residency here. I can actually travel here, and this is the second mm-hmm. time during the pandemic that I've done that. Um, but I didn't stay here much because I was taking care of my mom. Uh, back in California. But now that I'm here and my workshops are all canceled because of the pandemic, um, I'm going to do some me time photography uh, um, around around Europe. So I, I have the freedom to travel like that. So I will be able to go because I'm coming and I'm technically now coming from uh, Europe. I can go to any country uh, that I want to. And some of them require vaccination, but they have that. So I can go to France, go to Italy, and um, that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> Is, uh, doing some photography for myself. When do you leave and where are you going? Um, I uh, have some virtual um, gigs that I have to do this month. So at the end of June, I'm taking off, and then I think I'm going to go straight to France and then um, work my way back through Italy, and we'll see after that. That's uh, There's a lot that I want to do and probably not enough time to do it all because I do have other responsibilities. But, yeah, the, that's I think I'm going to head straight over to the French Alps. I, I do workshops in the French Alps every year, and I, I'm always with students, and I don't do very much shooting at all when I'm with students. So now I get to go and just do some shooting. 
that's the idea anyway. That's fantastic. Good for you. Good for you. You know, Aaron, I was I just a, a funny question just because I saw it on your on your website and it made me laugh out loud this morning. One of your frequently asked questions was, uh, do you always wear purple when you go photographing? <laughs> I thought that was funny that you put that question up. And uh, but it does seem you're always in purple or lilac or. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it started as a, a way just to be seen out in wilderness areas because purple was back in the 80s, one of the colors that even guys would wear a lot. Oh, yeah. So a lot of the mountaineering clothing was available in purple. So it was legit mountain color. <laughs> so I latched onto it early on because I thought, yeah, red, yellow, blue, they're okay, but purple, I'll take that. Yeah. And it just kind of stuck. That's funny. <laughs> I, I love that you threw it up there. Um, what, so what's it like? What's it like working with Canon? You know, being an explorer of light. That's been an incredible honor. It's been um, just it, actually really great timing too, because I just entered the program at the very beginning of 2020, before just a few months before the pandemic really kicked in, and um, you know, it just gave me. Uh, a connection to the world and a whole lot more, you know, virtual stuff than maybe I would have had otherwise. And they're just incredibly supportive and it's been, it's been pretty wonderful. Yeah. So you have to, you have to, of course, I have some corporate responsibilities having to give presentations for them on their behalf and yeah. So, I mean, I was already doing that for several years before they invited me into the program. They were sponsoring me to do talks quite, not not infrequently on both coasts, a lot in New York and uh, California. Um, so, you know, that, that had been going on for a while, but um, I only was uh, a, an explorer of light, you know, near the very end of when things are still normal. <laughs> so. Uh, for most of the time that I've been in EOL, it's been mostly virtual, virtual presentations. Yeah, but I'll take it. You know, I, oh, I love sure. speaking to audiences, and I, you know, <laughs> at yeah, least we, we had uh, we had Daryl Galeen on just uh, a few months ago. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, super, Rick, super Rick, nice guy. We had Rick Simon on too. Yeah, we Rick had Rick. Simon. Rick's a good guy. Yeah, Rick is Rick is a a, a really good photographer and. And another uh, kind of we relate because we're kind of ex musicians and and have that mentality. But um, no, they're they're a lot of good. People. And you know what, what's funny is that you know Nikon and Canon. I think we're both cutting down on their their explorers or whatever Nikon calls them. So to be added uh, to a list, you should feel very uh, good about that. And in, in, in today's uh, photographic market i know all the manufacturers are trying to figure out how how to be sustained here and you know it's it's a it's a crazy thing um aaron any last ideas what what, do you have any workshops coming up or anything that people can if they want to spend time with you is there anything coming up uh you're coming back here to america to do anything and um, yeah, well, I'll, I, I always do um, my the, the next thing I'll be doing in person in the United States is the Out of Acadia conference in early October. So there's that. Um, but also anyone's interested. 
interested in doing workshop with me should definitely check out my workshops page of my website because even though most of what you'll see there is sold out there are a bunch that just say coming soon and those are ones that um you know i've kind of been keeping on hold <laughs> through the pandemic yeah. uh, but they will open for registration probably near the end of this month um, and then there's there's a lot of virtual stuff that I have coming up. So this just this I don't know when this podcast will air, but on June nineteenth I'm doing one for Dodd Camera Cleveland that Canon is sponsoring, and then I've, I'm doing another um, virtual event for Canon's National Camera Day event on June twenty ninth. Uh, so there's there's those coming up in June, and a bunch of stuff in July too. So. But this is all on my website, so anyone who wants to keep in uh, touch with me should just my new for my newsletter and follow my click the purple bell at the bottom of my website. <laughs> You'll be purple notified bell. of me. <laughs> That's what you need, Jack. You need a purple bell. I need an orange bell. You know what's funny? Yeah, uh, you do. I mean, I, I, I've been told that I wear orange all the time, and I I, I don't wear it all the time. But I don't know why. I I think we all gravitate. To some color, I really do. What we may not even know it, and but we do. Um, it, it, folks, we're going to have show notes um, with this podcast, uh, and we'll get Aaron's information uh, down there. And um, please uh, spend some time and look at her work if you haven't already. It, it's quite amazing. Uh, it's Aaron Babnik, B A B N I K E R I N B A B N I K dot com. And we'll have that up, John. Uh, John's the brains behind all of this, uh, folks. I just sit here and talk, and he'll get that up for everybody. And uh, and uh, you can sign up for Aaron's newsletter. Aaron, I have to tell you, um, we, we, I, w- I really want to think about getting as many of the Photo Cascadia folks on at the same time. <laughs> if we can make that work with everybody's schedule, it'd be, it, it'd be a lot it of fun has- to do. I think it happened almost once on another podcast. It, you know, we have trouble just getting together for our, our meetings. No doubt. <laughs> you know, our phone meetings. So. <laughs> no but doubt. I, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. It could happen. Yeah, well, we're going to have <laughs> we're gonna have Kevin on here. John, I, I know he's on the schedule, I think, uh, in a couple of weeks. And then um, I'm going to reach out to Zach as well, maybe get him on. Uh, uh, Chip and Adrian, um, I've met. And maybe we can get everybody. I don't know. Who knows? I'm just. I, I think it's worth cool. a try. It's yeah. worth a try. Yeah, for sure. It's worth a try. Worth a try. Um, well, thank you, Aaron, for being here. Uh, and, and again, it's E-R-I-N-B-A-B-N-I-K dot com. Uh, John, do you have any last thoughts before we. No, other than in- coffee. <laughs> Coffee is about my only thought. So, folks, this is uh, in the morning fairly early in the morning for, for us here to to accommodate Aaron's schedule over in Europe. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little uh, in need of caffeine. So, Aaron, thank you so very, very much for being on the show. I was really happy that we were able to coordinate with you and get you on this program so our listeners could be introduced to you and uh, urged to go explore all of your beautiful work. So thank you for your time today. Well, hey, thanks back to you for the interest. I really appreciate it. You bet. And we'll, we'll, we'll get as many uh, Cascadia folks on as possible. I promise you. I'll make that effort. Yeah, for I sure. I will help you. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great. 
Thank Please you. Please do. So, folks, um, again, check out We Talk Photo. Um, subscribe, like, comment, do all that kind of good stuff. I'll have Aaron's information up on our webpage. And if you have any uh, questions, comments, suggestions, drop us an email info at We Talk Photo or We Talk Photo at gmail.com. Um, and with that, I'll just uh, end it and say thank you again. Aaron and Jack for being here. It's been a great morning to spend with you too. And so thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Be safe out there. Okay. You too. Thanks. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye folks. Bye-bye. See you later.